Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Let us humbly confess our sins unto Almighty God. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against thy holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done, and there is no health in us. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us, miserable offenders. Spare thou those, O God, who confess their faults. Restore thou those who are penitent, according to thy promises declared unto mankind in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life. To the glory of thy holy name. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord grant you absolution and remission of all your sins, true repentance, amendment of life, and the grace and consolation of his Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. O Lord, open thou our lips. And our mouth shall show forth thy praise. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Praise ye the Lord. The Lord's name be praised. Psalm 116, beginning on page 486. My delight is in the Lord, because he hath heard the voice of my prayer. Because he hath inclined his ear unto me, therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. The snares of death compassed me round about, and the pains of hell got hold upon me. I found trouble and heaviness, then called I upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord, and righteous. Yea, our God is merciful. The Lord preserveth the simple. I was in misery, and he helped me. Turn again then unto thy rest, O my soul, for the Lord hath rewarded thee. And why, thou hast delivered my soul from death, mine eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, and therefore will I speak, but I was sore troubled. I said in my haste, All men are liars. What reward shall I give unto the Lord for all the benefits that he hath done unto me? I will receive the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows now in the presence of all his people. Right dear in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Behold, O Lord, how that I am thy servant. I am thy servant and the son of thine handmaiden. Thou hast broken my bonds in the sunder. I will offer to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving, and will call upon the name of the Lord. 
I will pay my vows unto the Lord in the sight of all his people, in the courts of the Lord's house, even the midst of thee, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Here beginneth the sixth chapter of the book of Daniel. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom one hundred and twenty satraps, to be over the whole kingdom, and over these three governors, of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them, so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault, because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So the governors and satraps thronged before the king and said thus to him, King Darius, live forever. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and satraps, the counselors and advisers, have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for thirty days except you o king shall be cast in to the den of lions now o king establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the medes and persians which does not alter here endeth the first lesson My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Saviour, for he hath regarded the lowliness of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed, for he that is mighty hath magnified me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him throughout all generations. He hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seat, and hath exalted the humble and meek. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. He, remembering his mercy, hath opened his servant Israel, as he promised to our forefathers, Abraham and his seed forever. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Here beginneth the 26th chapter of the Acts of the Apostles. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You are permitted to speak for yourself. So Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things of which I am accused by the Jews. 
especially because you are expert in all customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. They knew me from the first, if they were willing to testify, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. To this promise are twelve tribes, earnestly serving God night and day, hope to attain. For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. While thus occupied, I, as I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, along the road I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So I said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people, as well as from the Gentiles, to whom I now send you, to open their eyes, in order to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. For these reasons the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand, witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come, that the Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead, and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Here endeth the second lesson. Lord, 
Now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace, according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, to be a light to lighten the Gentiles, and to be the glory of thy people Israel. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with thy spirit. Let us pray. O Lord, show thy mercy upon us. And grant us thy salvation. O Lord, save the state. And mercifully hear us when we call upon thee. And do thy ministers with righteousness. And make thy chosen people joyful. O Lord, save thy people. And bless thine inheritance. Give peace in our time, O Lord. For it is Thou, Lord, only that makest us dwell in safety. O God, make clean our hearts within us. And take not Thy Holy Spirit from us. O God, whose never-failing providence ordereth all things both in heaven and earth, we humbly beseech Thee to put away from us all hurtful things, and to give us those things which are profitable for us, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. O God, from whom all holy desires, all good counsels, and all just works do proceed, give unto thy servants that peace which the world cannot give, that our hearts may be set to obey thy commandments, and also that by thee, we being defended from the fear of our enemies, may pass our time in rest and quietness through the merits of Jesus Christ our Savior. Amen. Light in our darkness, we beseech thee, O Lord. And by thy great mercy, defend us from all perils and dangers of this night. For the love of thy only Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Good evening to all. What thoughts about our lessons for tonight? We begin with Psalm 116. It's significant to note that Psalm 116 is a, um, a, a psalm that was traditionally um, annually and then some, but at least annually recited at the Passover meal, along with 17 and 18, 117 and 118. Um, and that these would often, you know, attend the meal and be after the meal. And it's quite likely that um, after the Passover meal that our Lord shared with his disciples on the night that he was betrayed, that Psalm 116 was one that he and his disciples would have sung uh, or recited or sung together, more likely. And that's a significant context for 116 because it presents to us um, one of the more, uh, what, have, what commentators have called the a more extemporaneous of the Psalms. You'll, you'll notice in some Psalms, there seems to be quite a, you know, a kind of a schema that's being employed if it's a intercession or a kind of a request or a thanksgiving. Um, but in this case, there's, there's, it's not clear which genre this cleanly falls into. And it 
as the marks of, of that kind of sometimes uh, erratic interiority of our lives um, that we've noted before with 116 in a previous meditation. You'll note that about a third of the way through the psalm, the psalmist reflects upon God in the midst of great struggle and accomplishes a kind of recollection in the midst of it. You know, this sense of God being with him, that God is merciful, that God is, you know, and, and he says, you know, so he calls his heart back to a place of calm. Um, if we'll recall in the, in the exact words of the psalm, turn then again unto thy rest, O my soul, for the Lord hath rewarded thee. There's a recognition that God has been present with and that God has has rewarded the psalmist for his sort of faithful remembrance of him in the midst of all these things. Uh, and then he, um, but then he, he has an immediate lapse from this, like two verses later. And then he says, but then I said in my haste, all men are liars. Um, and he comes back from that again. And so within this prayer, we can detect something, I think, that has a lot of realism to it, that even in our prayer, you know, our prayer life, when we're praying even a simple collect, you know, we can begin with a good intention. We can even find ourselves, you know, growing deeper into it and then all of a sudden be, you know, way, waylaid by a kind of distracting thought or an intrusive thought of anger or fear or anxiety. Um, and, but then yet the psalm continues and we again return then unto thy rest. Oh, my soul, for the Lord hath rewarded thee. Um, even in the midst of these things, we have to admit that um, perfect recollection is something only known by our Lord. And it is something into which we are continually formed and we continually grow. Um, and that is something that we have to, we, we know, we, we always have one more step to kind of grow in the midst of. So that's where we begin. And that comes to, you know, that comes to pass as we do call our souls back to that place of rest. We are able to see the great pattern of the Lord's faithful deliverance of his people in the midst of their various afflictions. And that comes to bear in both the example of, of Daniel in Daniel 6 and also in the example of St. Paul in Acts 26. In Daniel 6, we have the setup for the, the great, the, perhaps the most memorable episode of this book, which is Daniel being thrown into the den of lions. But we have to remember that there's been, you know, a, a pattern that's been established thus far um, in the story of Daniel. In chapter 1, we saw, of course, Daniel and his friends being, you know, set up, you know, being, you know, refusing the king's order to eat of his table and being sort of threatened for this. And yet the Lord made them wiser and hardier than the men who were eating of the king's luxurious table. And the Lord delivered them. Two and three, we have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who are made, who are being told to, or sorry, chapter two, we have the, the great dream of Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel being delivered and the rest of the um, Chaldeans being miraculously delivered. Um, because Daniel is given the interpretation of the dream. In three and four, we have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that are delivered miraculously in the fiery furnace. In five and, you know, in four and five, we see in four, of course, the toppling of King Nebuchadnezzar into madness that the Lord triumphs over him in his hubris. And then again, in his successor, um, Belshazzar, who desecrates the objects of the temple and is toppled for it. So there's a pattern that's been developed here that the Lord of Daniel the God of Daniel, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are well, it continues to triumph and prove himself um, omnipotent in the midst of even great Babylon, which is the seat of their gods um, and of their king. And so as we get to the episode of the fiery furnace, we see these guys kind of trying out the same tired strategy that they have employed against Daniel and his friends since the beginning of this book and since the beginning of their captivity. And Daniel, in the midst of this, you know, sort of comes back to this being being a man of prayer, comes back to his prayer, fasts and will fast and pray. 
recognize the pattern of the Lord's deliverance and says, look, like I can only serve the Lord who again and again has proven himself faithful to us here in captivity. I will not do this thing you are asking. And in fact, I will not cease from my rule of prayer in the midst of this place, which is the only thing you have against me. And that's only because you engineered a law against it. So Daniel's recollection, though, we'll remember, is the product. As he goes into the lion's den, we typically think, oh, wow, what sudden unexpected heroism of faith. But it, we have to remember that this is the product of, you know, perhaps decades of, you know, faithful daily prayer and also of recognition and remembering these events that have happened already. So that is, as it is time now for him in his own moment, and we'll recall he didn't go into the furnace, he, but he saw his friends do that. Now it's his own time to be thrown into this place that's supposed to kill him. And he is going to reveal in this that what it really is the fruit of a life of prayer, a life of daily dis disciplined prayer that then gets called upon in the moment. And that's echoed, of course, again in St. Paul, who gives this great you know, kind of culminating defense in the book of Acts. In Acts 26, we have this like kind of last great speech here. I um, mean, it's before Agrippa II, who's king of um, who's king of Caesarea Philippi. Um, and, you know, what, in order to kind of understand this, we, we have to remember what's happened before him, that um, Agrippa II's great-grandfather was Herod the Great, who tried to kill Jesus and delude the wise men. His great-uncle was Herod Antipas, who killed John the Baptist. And his dad was Agrippa I, who killed James, the brother of John, who we remembered last week in the feast day. So Agrippa's family has has killed, you know, several people that Paul, you know, knows about uh, and who have been notable servants of our Lord. And so Paul is standing before what must be construed as almost certain death in this episode. And yet his defense is not of himself. He doesn't actually he doesn't he spends more than doesn't spend more than a few words, you know, defending his own you know, innocence in the midst of this. And part of that's because that's not really what's on trial here. Um, Paul knows that this is not, you know, this is not really a, a, about his character or about even the movement. It's for envy, discontentment, and a continuous, um, unavoidable rage that the world has against the gospel. And Paul is able to recognize the true stakes of this moment in his trial. And what does he do? And, you know, after, a, after, you know, many years of knowing the Lord, serving him, of living in daily prayer, of seeing the Lord's deliverance again and again, what does he do? He proclaims the gospel and the effect of it will be the very near conversion of this you know son of this great grandson of Herod the Great um, he he goes and almost you know conquers the Herodian line here it will give them one last chance not to reject the Messiah and of course he won't take it he'll he'll duck out of it at the last second so you know what are we to see in this that the seeds of these you know sort of moments in the history of of our people, of the history of the faithful, is really inextricably connected to this continuous habit of, like the psalmist in 116, calling again our heart to the calm place of prayer. And the more we do that, the more, even if we are waylaid by the intrusive thoughts of anger, fear, worry, etc., we still practice this in the daily and in the midst of our prayers here together in community, so that when the great trial does come for us, and it will come for all of us at different points in life, um, we, we have practiced for it by joining in prayer together and enduring distraction, enduring you know, the um, perplexing nature of Father Hayden's meditations at times, 
Um, and, you know, and, you know, the, sometimes the distracting annoyance and or, you know, you know, justifiable, um, like confusion that can come from that. But when we do that, we realize that Jesus is still present with us and that we have gathered prayer as his people and he is present here as he promised and promised us to be. And so there is a person to whom we can all together call our hearts back to a calm place this evening. Well, thoughts for us. So in that, in the interest of that, let's turn to our intercession on page 590. Let us pray. Accept, O Lord, our intercessions for all mankind. Let the light of thy gospel shine upon all nations, and may as many as have received it live as becomes it. Be gracious unto thy church, and grant that every member of the same in his vocation and ministry may serve thee faithfully. Bless all in authority over us, and so rule their hearts and strengthen their hands, that they may punish wickedness and vice and maintain thy true religion and virtue. Give grace, be merciful, oh, send down thy blessings, temporal and spiritual, upon all our relations, friends, and neighbors. Reward all who have done us good and pardon all those who have done or wish us evil and give them repentance and better minds. Be merciful unto all who are in any trouble, And do thou, the God of pity, administer to them according to their several necessities, for his sake who went about doing good, thy Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Ghost, be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen. Thank you all so much for joining in tonight. And it's good to pray with you. Thanks to Chris and Thank Barbara, you. my co-leaders. Have a wonderful evening. Thank, Thank you, Father. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody. Like, the new, like your new little beacon there. Hey. That's right. Hi there. Acolyte in the making Hi. right here. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Have a good night. Have a good night, everybody. Goodbye. That's right.